This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, Sam. Hey, Sierra. How's it going? It's going great. How are you? (laughs) I'm great because today (laughs) we are debuting our next interview of the Head and Heart Work Conversation Series. And this interview is with Evita Levita Loca Sawyers, who is a polyamorous educator and personalized coach specializing in relationship dynamics and non-monogamy. And I was so thrilled to get Livia Loca on board to talk with us today because, um, well, first of all, she, her Instagram is an amazing resource. Um, it's Levita Loca 34 on Instagram. And it's such a great resource for everyone, but particularly like you and I, as we exist in the relationship advice world, as folks who are currently practicing monogamy and have like exclusively pr- you know, hypothetically practice monogamy. And, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like, you know, that can sometimes be a blind spot for us, or at least an experience that we can like comment upon, but don't have direct lived experience from. And sure. so I was so thrilled to have her on board to talk to with us today. And um, I want to say a quick caveat that there was an error with um, Levita Loca's microphone. So the quality is going to be a little bit lower than what you're used to from us at Just Break Up. But we, the content was just too good. And like, you know, we're human, we err. <laughs> um, so forgive us for that. Um, and the other thing is Sam was not able to join us for this interview. Um, but I wanted to ask you, Sam, like, what were some of your feelings upon listening to the episode? Yeah, I loved this interview. Um, and I just really loved the way that um, Libido Loca talked about monogamy and how people, or non-monogamy, and how people, like, come into non-monogamy and sort of the ways in which people do it. And that, you know, in as it is with all of the different things that we try and want Explore. to do, mm-hmm. yeah, people come into it in, in such different ways. Um, there's and sort not of like, like that, a cookie cutter path. Yeah, for sure. It's not like, oh, I decided I'm going to be non-monogamous or I'm going to be poly or I'm going to open the relationship, but that it can be all of those things. It can be none of those things. And it's it's sort of people's own entry into it um, was super interesting because I think we get a lot of letters from folks who are like, trying to figure out like, what does it mean to do this? How do I do it? Like, what's the one right way? Mm. And loved the way that La Vida Loca was like, there's no one right way, right? Like right. we're all figuring it out as we go along. Right. Um, and just loved the the idea that like um, going into non-monogamy doesn't mean that we're instantly good at it yes. <laughs> or doesn't like, and even practicing non-monogamy for many years doesn't necessarily mean that we're good at it in every situation. Right. Um, and just thinking about like, yeah, you're probably going to experience jealousy when you are in your first non-monogamous relationship because jealousy is a really normal emotion mm. and because we've been conditioned to be, um, like proprietary over our partners, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. absolutely makes sense. As well as saying like, and even if you're practicing non-monogamy for 
however long, different circumstances might still bring up different emotions, right? Like you might have a partner uh, who has a new partner who they're spending a lot of time with and you might still, like those wounds might still come up in you and that doesn't mean that you're like failing at non-monogamy. Totally. It means that you're just having feelings about things. And I just like... I love that because I think I think sometimes the ways at least that I have approached non-monogamy as a monogamous person who's only practiced monogamous relationships besides non-consensual <laughs> non-monogamous <laughs> relationships um, has been the sort of idea that it's like you're either you're either poly or you're not, right? And it's yes. like no, you could be poly with this person but not with other people yes, or you could totally. be like it's just like I love the idea that it is so much more of not even a spectrum, but like an ecosystem. Oh, that's such a great like way to put it. Ways that you do it. And the same way that like my own understanding of like queerness and gender through the work of this podcast mm-hmm. and through like the brilliance of other people has really come to me to like mean like we're not one or the other and it's not even a spectrum. It's right. just like all of the different experiences um, and situations and contexts that we're in that inform the way that we approach relationships. Right. So I just loved loved that perspective of hers and like really appreciated transferring or transferring some of that idea to a, a type of relationship that I don't have a whole lot of lived experience yes. in. Yes, I could not agree more. I, I had very similar like... Um, just like affirming epiphanies while talking to her. Um, and the one of them I've like referenced on the primary feed, like the primary episode several times, which is just the process of you don't have to choose to be in an open relationship or be polyamorous to, to intentionally start to unravel the monogamous programming that we're all sort of indoctored mm. with, you know, um, you don't have to open your relationship to decide that you're no longer going to treat your partner like your property, you know, like there's some <laughs> yeah. really fucked up um, monogamist ideals that are really programmed into us, like um, at a really conditioned in, into us at a really young age. Um that also I feel like go so hand in hand with some of our attachment styles. And like, you know, um, I just really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Um, I enjoyed, Mm. I was definitely changed by it and carried a lot of the things that LaVita Luca said into my own like relationship and practice. Um, just sort of trying to demonogamize the way I view my partnerships. Um, so I'm so glad you enjoyed it. I hope our listeners love it. Please enjoy this conversation with Avita La Vida Loca Sawyers. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder, and on this week of Head and Heart Work Conversations, I'm talking to Avita Lavita Loca Sawyers. Avita, who uses she, her pronouns, is a polyamorous educator and personal coach who specializes in relationship dynamics and non-monogamy. Avita, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. Oh, I am beyond grateful. I said a little bit of this to you before, but I, Sam and I both are practicing monogamy currently in our relationships. And I 
you know, we get, we do our best to answer the folks' letters who write in about non-monogamy or opening up their relationships or polyamory. And we do our best to affirm um, and support them in that journey. But I feel like it's been a, a blind spot for us. And so I'm just so grateful to get your perspective, um, sort of uh, speak to that part of our listener community. Um, I'm just so grateful. <laughs> I'm pumped. <laughs> and I also like really believe in... Um, in the work that you're doing and how you're empowering so many people to like live their most authentic liberated life. So thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. Um, and I really, it started from me just wanting to, you know, talk about my experience and what I was going through and, and connect to people on that. Um, and then it just kind of, you know, grew to where it was today. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, I guess right while we get started, can you tell us your Instagram handle so if folks at home want to check you out while they're listening? Um, because that's what we're really talking about, um, the platform that you're speaking from primarily, right? Yeah, so my uh, Instagram account is lavitaloca34. It's L-A-V as in Victor, I-T as in Thomas, A-L-O-C-A. Three, four. And that's where the my largest uh, fan base is. I do have like, you know, some people on Facebook as well. So I usually post to there too. Um, and uh, it's funny because that account was my personal page. Like, you know, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Like, you go way down. <laughs> You'll see pictures of pies and kids and, you know, me going to the movies with friends yeah, and that yeah, kind yeah. of thing. Um, But then I started kind of posting just these, uh, when, when the pandemic hit actually, um, you know, we're stuck in the house, we're not doing anything. And so then I was like, I wonder if I can post like, you know, get like 365, you know, reminders. So if I could do like a daily post. Yeah. Um, and that's where it, it exploded. So oh, when I, wow. think I so it's, it, I, it's fairly, it's, it's very a new, new venture. Yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. 2020. Um, and at that time I might've had maybe like 1500, you know, uh, yeah. followers. it was, like I said, it was a personal page, you know, so yeah. I had a couple people, you know, that maybe knew who I was. Um, throughout the polyamorous community, but for the most part, because um, I have a documentary um, called Poly Love uh, that I did when I first, first, first uh, uh, kind of started my non-monogamous journey. Um, and then I was kind of known in the community, you know, just yeah. having a voice um, and had presented at some conferences, done some podcast interviews and things like that, but I wasn't big, you know? So, um, so the pandemic hit and I was like, oh, let me see if I can like post, I did like a challenge to myself. Can I post like a daily polyamory reminder, like a daily jewel of polyamory? Yeah. Um, and then that's where it like snowballed to where now it's, you know, like that 27, like thousand followers, yeah. and now it's yeah. a lot larger. but, uh, but initially it was just like my regular page. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I particularly love it. Um, because I, and correct me. Correct me if I'm wrong, but there's not a lot of, um, well, yeah, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Are there a lot of resources out there for folks who actively um, practice non-monogamy or polyamory who aren't just beginners? Does that make sense? Like people who are starting their development. It's not, what what I was going to say is I, I love that it is a resource for someone like me who is brand new to this world, but also it's very obviously for people who are who are committed to this, um, to practicing this, who are in, in those relationships, who are in that lifestyle. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. it, it kind of meets everybody where they're at. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, a lot of the focus 
on um, polyamory education comes from the vantage point of uh, newer people in non-monogamy and then also um, opening up yeah. a relationship. Um, and uh, while that is important, it is such a small swath of, totally. of non-monogamous uh, education and, you know, the need, you know, for non-monogamous yeah. education. Yeah. So, um, uh, I even felt that in my, when creating my questions for you, I felt this desire to skew towards begin- beginners, I guess, if you, you want to use that word. Mm-hmm. And I felt like, a, I felt that small injustice of like, well, what if there are listeners out there, folks out there who who have already found themselves, who have already committed to this um, and who who want works, you want help, just support sustaining, existing, being in there. Um, so it's, I guess it's affirming to hear that that is um, maybe not affirming, but that is something I felt even just writing my letter, my questions to you, you know. Yeah, a lot of the the discourse is, and and some people that are older in non monogamy, we do kind of complain about that. It's like you know, not everybody is is needing to hear about you know how to deal with you know your partner being on a date because we've right. been doing this for ten years, and our partners have been on thousands of dates, you know, or hundreds of yeah, dates, yeah, you know, yeah. from this point on. So uh, you know, we're needing a little bit more complex, um, uh, you know, advice. Yeah. So I try to make my I try to make my content accessible to anyone regardless of like where they're at in their non-monogamous journey. So I feel like people that have been doing it for a long time can find things that they can uh, glean. Yeah. Um, And people that are just coming into it, even if it's not a situation that they've been faced with yet, I get that a lot. Yeah. It causes them to think about what would it be like if this happened to me or, oh, I didn't even know that this was a thing that was possible. Um, And so it allows them the space to kind of like begin to, to, um, develop uh, their minds around what this actually really looks like. Because I think there is so much misinformation and so much myth around what non-monogamy actually looks like um, and like what living a non-monogamous lifestyle looks like. I think it's a lot more salacious, you know, yes. I mean, a lot more salacious, excuse me. Right, uh, right. It it's a lot more ordinary, you know, um, yeah. than, than you would imagine that it is. Um, and I think people have a lot of misconceptions about what it actually looks like or what you experience or what the feelings are like or what kind of things you deal with. Um, and so I think that uh, it, it, it's also good for newer people um, in that they're like, I didn't even know that that was something that I was going to experience or I didn't even know that that was a thing or that was a phenomenon. Totally. That so, um, so I try to make sure that what I put out is something that anybody can sort of find uh, something that resonates for them uh, no matter where they're at, you know, in their right. journey. So I want I'll I'll get back to that in one question but first I just want to ask um when did your journey to non-monogamy and polyamory start or like what was that unfolding process for you and um yeah tell us just a little bit about your journey um so uh I started my non-monogamous journey with my uh then and current husband at the time although we are separating yeah. um and uh we actually started with swinging. So yeah. uh, it was a form of non-monogamy that focuses primarily on recreational sex. So um, at the time, um, we had been married for about nine or 10 years. Um, our marriage was fine. So I mm-hmm. think there's a huge misconception that we opened up our relationship because we were struggling. So true. All. Um, we, we had a happy marriage. Um, and even, you know, though it has ended, it wasn't bad, you know? Right. So, um, but, um, 
we were going through a really tough time as a family. My son had actually gotten diagnosed with a brain cancer. He was like six. Oh my so goodness. we were like dealing with that. Um, and um, I had this like underdeveloped sexual identity. Um, so I knew that I was queer of some kind, mm-hmm. um, but wasn't really sure what that was like. Um, and it was becoming um, a lot more difficult for me to ignore. Um, and I'm like, in this kind of monogamous heterosexual marriage, but I'm mm. like kind of burgeoning queer identity um, that kind of wouldn't go away. And um, and so we were like, okay, you know, what does exploring this kind of look like? Um, and uh, so we, and, and we were just going through a really tough time and we were like, all right, like we need to just do something to like take us out of like all this shit that we're going through uh, with my son. Um, and so, uh, I remember the first thing that we did that was like a little bit like open ish, you know, was we went to a strip club together on Valentine's yeah. Day. Yeah. And, um, and I remember watching my, uh, husband get a lap dance and just not really being that upset about it, you know? Yeah. Um, I was just kind of like, okay, you know what I mean? It, you know, and I mean, I got a lap dance too, but I just remember just not really feeling a whole lot of like, oh. You know, he's, yeah. he's got some other woman like gyrating on him naked. Like it just was not a big deal. Um, and so we started doing all these little things. So like a lot of couples, their story is like one person discovered non-monogamy and they sat the other person down and they were like, hey, like there's this thing that I want to try or I realized, you know, that I'm not monogamous anymore. But for us, it wasn't like that. It was just like all these like little events, you know, we yeah. did this. And then the next time we like we went to this, you know, we went to a swinger party. And then after that, you know, and so we had all these little events that sort of pushed us towards Um, just kind of like shedding layers, you know? Mm, I love that analogy. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and so then, uh, we went to a party once a swinger party and a woman came in with her boyfriend and then her husband came in later on and they were all just kind of hanging out, talking to each other, kind of laughing, chopping it up. And it like blew our minds. Like we were just like, whoa, like, like this is a <laughs> like I, I, I never conceptualized it. And monogamy was always a struggle for me. It always mm. was. Even as a teenager, like it, it was always a struggle for me. I mean, I did it, but I never found that like once I got in a relationship with a person that I did not want to interact with anybody else. Like I, I cheated on partners before. Um, yeah. like I just never that never happened for me. You know, right. once I got in a relationship with a person, just I just did not feel a, a drive for anybody else. And not to say that it happens for a lot of people, because I'm sure that people, um, you know, that get in relationships, they experience drives for other people. But for me, it was like unbearable. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like a person. I was like, nah, like, I'm like, I'm yeah. trying to figure out like how to, you know, how to make it work. And, um, and so, so monogamy was always a challenge. Um, uh, but my, we see this couple or these people come in and they're hanging out and it really appealed to my husband in a way that it did not appeal to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, interestingly enough, because at that yeah. time I considered myself uh, looking back in hindsight, I was probably a lot more sexually non-monogamous than anything else. So mm-hmm. I liked having a variety of sexual partners, um, uh, but I wasn't super keen on developing emotional relationships with anyone else or relationships where, you know, we were like, like love was online or romance right. was online. It wasn't something I was interested in. Um, because at the time, you know, I felt like, uh, like your body is just a shell, you know, sex is something that you do. Like, so it was very easy for me to realize like, you know, having sex with other people, but you know, the things that, you know, made you who you were, your heart, your mind, your regard, your time, your affection, those things, 
Um, I didn't want to share those with anybody, you know, and that's the way I saw it at the time. I actually obviously have a different philosophy now. Um, And so uh, we tried it for a little bit because my husband uh, was a lot more uh, casual sex was very hard for him. And swinging is pretty much just casual sex. It doesn't really afford you the opportunity to like develop emotional connections with person with which if you are more of a demisexual, you know, person right. who um, only experiences uh, sexual attraction to people they've developed an emotional bond with. Um, or you're just someone who prefers uh, sex with people that you're emotionally bonded to. Um, you know, swinging is hard. You know, it's yeah. a challenge. Uh, whereas for me, I ain't got no problems. <laughs> no problem at all. I can somebody I don't even know your name, okay? <laughs> and be fine, you know? So uh, so it was very different for me. So I was thriving uh, in the swinging environment for the most part, um, but my husband yeah. was struggling. And so polyamory uh, appealed to him in a way that it kind of didn't appeal to me. So we tried it for a little bit. Uh, it was very volatile because I wasn't ready. Mm. Uh, and then about six months after that, we reapproached the conversation uh, because I wanted the opportunity to develop romantic relationships with women um, and just didn't get the, you know, that I, that wasn't afforded that opportunity with swinging, you know, because it was yeah. just about, you know, sex. Yeah. So um, so I was like, all right, let's get back into this. Um, and uh, we were supposed to, uh, which is also like contradictory to the way most couples that are comprised of a cisgender heterosexual man and a cisgender, you know, bisexual woman. Mm-hmm. Um, we did not get into uh, polyamory to establish a triad, you know, <laughs> at mm-hmm. all. Right, right. Um, because uh, my husband and I were like, look, we have completely t- different tastes in women. I was like, there is no way. You know? <laughs> 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 At least you had that foresight. At least you were like, it's not going to work. <laughs> no way that we're going to find, which is funny yeah. because we, were in a, we ended up in a triad for two years. <laughs> Well, that's the universe for you, though. Right, right, right. Very funny. But we were just like, there is no way that we're going to find someone that we both like. Um, This is not going to happen. So you go find you somebody. I go find me somebody, you know, and never the twain shall meet. And then we go to a swinger party and meet our partner uh, who we uh, was like our foray into polyamory uh, with for about two years. Um, that relationship was extremely volatile um, uh, because it was all of our first experience with mm. polyamory. So mm-hmm. we were all just kind of fucking each other up. That's what I say. You know, you know all firsts do that, though, man. But, yeah, <laughs> it was extremely volatile. Um, and uh, it lasted, like I said, off and on for about two years. Um, and then once it was over, you know, that was kind of it. You know, we were mm-hmm. open. And so um, and uh, we began to pursue, you know, partnerships and relationship structures uh, that worked um, for us. Um, and so that's kind of how I, I got into uh, non-monogamy. And, you know, and here we are. Yeah. So. Thanks for sharing all those details, because I love even the misconceptions that you busted in your own story about like, well, we weren't having any problems and um, we didn't you know, the two partners wanted different things or, you know, uh, I appreciate all those details because I think that when people think about non-monogamy or polyamory, there's so much assumption going on, so much assumption that leads towards the toxic. And I love that your story doesn't start there. So thanks for sharing that. (laughs) 
Y'all, as a self-employed person, as a mom of a toddler, I am always struggling with finding time to manage my finances. At the end of a busy week, the last thing I want to do is spend time budgeting all of my expenses or tracking down customer service teams to cancel old subscriptions I no longer use. But now I use Rocket Money and it does all of that for me. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. With Rocket Money, you have full control over your subscriptions and a clear view of your expenses. You can see all your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, Rocket Money can help cancel it with a few taps. I love how the dashboard shows me this month's spending compared to last month, so I can clearly see my spending habits and check myself if needed. Plus, they'll help me create a custom budget and keep my spending on track. Rocket Money will even help try to negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is submit a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. They'll deal with customer service for you, which I obviously love as a somewhat introverted, conflict-avoidant person. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Rocket Money has over 5 million subscribers and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash just break up. That's rocketmoney.com slash just break up. Rocketmoney.com slash just break up. The weather's getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets, sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year. Quince has things like premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. And the best part is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. This past month, I treated myself to a pair of new slippers because I'm in that hashtag mom life era of my life um, in which (laughs) um, I am never not in slippers. And these are 100% Australian shearling lined clog slippers. And I love that they're slip on, but they have those durable rubber outsoles. They're super cushy, super comfortable, but I feel like I can run outside to like take the trash out in them while also like staying warm and active in the house. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. Next question I want to, it's kind of like a broad one, but it's, it's the, what I'm going to articulate here has already sort of been touched on um, with what we've said. But so I've been thinking a lot in my personal life, but also as somebody who exists in the, the relationship advice and mental health world, you know, about how, about the 
strange, maybe like violence of assumed monogamy, how like our culture, you know, we assume a lot of things. We assume heteronormativity, sexuality, gender ability, you know, and monogamy is one of those things that I think is hidden in there. You know, it's, it's a less prevalent assumption, um, but it feels like when you stop and think about it, it feels like one of those non, those those unconscious, non-consensual lenses through which we see things because it was the way we were brought up, what we were shown in media, our, our family units or whatever. And so I've just been thinking a lot about how to demonogamize my mind, um, even as somebody who is practicing monogamy right now in my current partnership. Um, something I was going to say earlier is a lot of your posts on your Instagram um, help me even just with my own processing and problem solving in my relationship. It's it. So that's why I like, I'm sure this phrase has been used before, but even de- de- demonogamizing my mindset, how I'm approaching things um, has been on my mind a lot <laughs> and has been something that I've been working on. And I'm sure you have thoughts about that in general. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of my followers are actually monogamous. <laughs> so, which is oh, that's uh, so interesting. fascinating. I, yeah. yeah. A lot of my followers are actually monogamous. And a lot of my friends will tell me that they'll see their monogamous friends, like, you know, like, you know, sharing yeah. my posts or um, I'll have someone comment and be like, I'm monogamous and I follow you. Um, I'll, there'll be monogamous people that are in relationships with polyamorous yeah. people that follow me. So a lot, lot, lot of my followers are actually monogamous. Um, interestingly enough, um, and uh, and I hear that often um, that a lot of my uh, content um, is just good for relationships. In it general, is. It's it's so thoughtful, and it's um, you know I think about little sort of a, uh, assumptions that we monogamous assumptions that we have as entities as romantic partners. Right. And I think about one of the basic ones that you, you know, deem that you bust a lot, which is like, my partner is not my possession, you know, but like, and when did I learn that? When did I, what, when did I, what edification as a child or what did I see that made me think I had this ownership over a partner or that they had it over me? You know, like it, it, it really makes you stop and think about, conscious and unconscious thoughts. And I have just been thinking a lot about how monogamy is, is it's like, I don't consent to this thought process, but it's in there that I'm trying to unpack and unlearn, you know? Yeah. And it is a lot less seen um, as, as one of the assumptions that assumption lenses that we have as human beings, it's a lot less seen that way. And even that is an assumption because Mm -hmm. it's like, we just assume that everybody is monogamous. We assume that the entire world is monogamous. And so we don't even see the lens, you know? Assume that it's Um, natural too. I've heard that language before. Yeah. We assume that it's natural. um, And, um, and for some people it may, you know, very well be, Right. Um, but we don't often uh, practice what what uh, and there's actually talks around this and kind of like like a movement, you know, towards this of yeah. conscious monogamy. Mm. Um, I've had a couple of clients recently uh, uh, that have come to me and said, you know, I don't really think that I'm polyamorous. So I'm not monogamous. But I what I find in engaging with polyamorous people that I often don't find in engaging with monogamous people is this commitment to not assuming that the relationship is going to be a certain way, but like having this be a collaboration of like, Hey, what do we want to do with one another? You know, just because we're saying that we're going to be this to one another doesn't necessarily mean that like my idea of what this looks like and your idea of what this looks like is exactly the same. 
So let's have a conversation. Let's collaborate. Let's build this relationship structure together that honors both of our desires and our wishes around how we want to interact with one another. And so they're like, I don't find that in the monogamous community because monogamy comes with so many assumptions um, and uh, so many sort of unwritten scripts. Totally. Right. That, that, you know, they're like, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to practice polyamory, but, you know, the, the way in which I see uh, polyamory uh, or people that, you know, practice polyamory and how they approach relationships really resonates for me. And so there is a movement towards conscious monogamy, people going, I know that I want to be monogamous, but I want to unpack all the ways in which it's been sort of like, like, you know, kind of crafted for me that totally. really are in alignment with like how I want to navigate my yeah. relationships. As though any relationship is just going to work without putting any work into it, you know? Right. You know, really for me, you know, for some people, a lot of people, you know, my desire to be monogamous is simply just that I only wish to have one partner for this thing. And I want that person to also, uh, you know, only, you know, have me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that like I have an expectation that they're not going to have any uh, friends of a gender that they're attracted to, you know, or have any kind of emotional, emotionally intimate relationships with, uh, you know, some of someone of a gender that they're attracted to, or like I have this expectation um, that, you know, they are supposed to maneuver around my jealousy or just yeah. all of these things um, that we see uh, play out in monogamous relationships. Um, or even like, you know, if they were to be unfaithful, um, you know, that I feel like that means that we have to end the relationship, you know, yeah. that can be a conversation that we can have and we can talk through that. Yeah. So, um, and so, uh, there is a movement of people that are trying to like mm-hmm. sort of rem- and remain monogamous, but like unpack, you know, monogamous assumptions. But, you know, for me, myself personally, what I always tell people is, you know, when you're uh, entering into non-monogamy, it's kind of like changing your computer's operating system. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, to a Mac, you know? Wow. So yeah. the functions just don't work the same, you know? Totally. And so you have to do a lot of like unlearning, like, well, this is how I operated when I was in this relationship dynamic, but now I'm in this relationship dynamic and that's not going to work over here. Totally. Um, so what do I need to put in place um, so that it, it, it works? I love that. Um, something that we do hear from our listeners, um, re- a refrain that we've heard repeated, uh, listeners who are exploring non-monogamy, um, uh, maybe for the first time, or maybe at the behest of a polyamorous partner, or maybe for their own, you know, self-exploration, uh, is this anxiety or sensation that they're doing polyamory wrong, or that they are frustrated with themselves for feeling those, having those triggering feelings comes up, come up or that they're something that I've heard. And that I, a word that I saw on one of your posts, like, I don't know, 300 weeks ago, (laughs) I was in there deep before the personal stuff. But um, is that somebody wrote to you and said that they felt like they were not enlightened or that they were struggling with the feelings that they weren't enlightened enough to be um, polyamorous or non-monogamous and, uh, so what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Is, is that a common refrain that you hear in your experiences or your in your circles? Oh yeah. First of all, um, I'm very adamant about like pushing that, you know, non-monogamy is no more enlightened than monogamy is. And the people that practice non-monogamy yes. are no more enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I tell you that all the time. I'm like, don't, don't do it. So don't good. Do it. That is this. so good. <laughs> don't, don't, don't think this. You will be uh, uh, greatly disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> that is so good. Uh, 
I want to arrive to this community and I'm just going to meet all of these enlightened individuals. Oh my God, no, who aren't right. going to fuck me up? Like, <laughs> right. Yeah, we, 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 we're a hodgepodge of, of a variety of human beings. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That Same is true. The others. Um, I also think that enlightenment is a relative, you know what I mean? So one person's enlightenment, like enlightened is one person's unevolved. So I, 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 oh, I love that. I that you're, way. you're speaking my language. Right. I just don't That's how I find way. peace in the universe. It's like, this is my, not my journey or, you know, or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I, I always, one of my, I, I create little mantras for myself. You know, one of my mantras is, you know, you don't become, uh, non-monogamous, like with one decision to become mm. non-monogamous. It is a constant work. It is a constant, mm. you know, uh, uh, a reckoning with yourself. We are been, you know, fed monogamous conditioning, literally yes. when we hit the ground running and we're continuing to receive it. Conditioning, that's the word. You're right. so right. Continuing to receive it. So like, why would you have this expectation that you're going to arrive to this uh, a life and, um, you know, this, you know, relationship orientation, this relationship practice um, and just knock it out the park, you know, from the gate. Um, right. uh, unless they, there are people that just are naturally adapted to it. I, right. I definitely think that there are people that monogamy just never made sense to them and it was really a challenge for them. Um, and then they got into polyamory and it just kind of clicked. So that does occur. Um, but they are not like that. That's not a, that's not a very large experience, you know, in non-monogamy. Right. most of us arrived to it and, you know, we kind of struggle with it. Um, and, um, and um, it's okay to to have a learning curve period. It's okay to have a transitory mm-hmm. period. It's okay to, to it's okay to have emotions. Like you know, I like I, I don't understand well, this this um this belief that people have of like I have to do this perfectly or mm-hmm. I have to feel perfectly about it or you know I could never get jealous or I could never struggle with insecurity or envy or discomfort um, mm-hmm. because if I do then that's some kind of indicator that like I'm not good at this. Where to me, I'm like, why is it not just an indicator that you're a human being, you know? Yes. Yes. Um, and uh, 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 relationships, um, like these are literally emotions that you would experience in a monogamous relationship. I know. I feel like this is one of the more harmful myths is that somehow you're not going to experience things like jealousy or insecurity or something like that. It's like, no, you 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 have to process through them just as you would in your monogamous relationship. Right. Yeah. They're not free from those things either. You may yeah. not feel them to the extent to which that you do in a non-monogamous relationship, or you may not find yourself in the situation, in the certain situations that bring those things up as you do in a non-monogamous relationship. But like, these aren't emotions that you do not experience at all, right. even if you're in a monogamous right. relationship. So it's just learning how to deal with them uh, when they come or how to navigate those times when they happen. But, um, and I do believe that there is something to be said of it. Is, if if non-monogamy is just a constant source of pain mm. and strife and struggle and angst, you know, and you, you can honestly say that you, you know, put in the work to really, really, really try to, you know, uh, navigate it. And it's just not working for you. I do think you need to take a look at that. Cause maybe it's just, you know, I'm just not, yeah. this. you know, that is real. Yeah. Totally. Um, but I think people will, you know, have these like really normal, like it'll be a thing to where they'll be like, you know, I'm with this person um, and, uh, you know, my partner got a new partner. Um, and so and they've been on 10 dates with them in five months. Um, I mean, 10 dates with them and, you know, like in a month. 
Um, and like, I can't even schedule a phone call with them. They won't even talk to me on the phone and I'm feeling jealous about that. I must be bad at poly. And I'm like, no, like it's like most people would have a problem with that. Like, you know what I mean? So (laughs) you're bad at polyamory. Like, you know, it just means you're human. So, um, and so I think that, um, I think we carry a lot of shame and judgment around ourselves when we have these normal human emotions, or we have this set of emotions that it's like, okay, these are ones that I are okay for me to feel. And these are ones that it's not okay for me to feel. Mm-hmm. And for me personally, um, I moved away from this belief that there are good and bad emotions. There are emotions mm-hmm. that feel comfortable and emotions that don't feel so comfortable, um, but they're not good and bad. They all have merit. Yes. Um, they all have a message. Um, I've been able to use them um, for personal discovery um, and, and growth. Um, and so when I learned to change my relationship with the emotions that I was having and to change my perception of the emotions I was having, I stopped having a lot of those, those mm, thoughts. Wow. Am I not good enough for this or am I not enlightened enough for this? Wow. I'm loving this. Our listeners, they're, they're going to eat this up. I, you're, this is just great. <laughs> um, so uh, keep in mind, as we've said, like all relationships take mindful work, you know, all all humans take mindful work, right? Um, What are some best practices or tips in your world specifically for maintaining um, a healthy relationship uh, with multiple people, one person, whatever, whatever is your, whatever's worked for you? And or perhaps what is a lesson that you or lessons that you wish you learned sooner? Um. I, I honestly, the first thing that's coming forward for me as I'm asking this question is honesty. I think we are so, yeah. we're not honest. Um, mm-hmm. We're not honest with ourselves. We're not honest with our partners. Um, and so I try to practice uh, radical honesty with my partners, but not harsh honesty. Yes, yes. So honesty that is kind, honesty that is necessary, honesty yeah. that is compassionate, gracious, loving. Um, but I really try to make sure that I'm being honest and authentic with myself um, and then also with my partners. So, yeah. um, so I'm being honest about what I what I want to do in relationship with them, what I don't want to do in relationship with them, um, what I want from them, what I don't want from them. Um, and uh, and so I think that um, uh, me personally, my commitment to being honest with myself and honest with my partners is huge. Yeah. Um, also recognizing that. Um, so there's a, one of my favorite quotes uh, uh, by Anais Nin is we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. Mm. Uh, and so much of the time we ascribe our motivations, our thoughts, our traumas, like all of that stuff onto these people that we're in relationships with. And so they do things. And we interpret those things through what it would mean if we did those things. You know, if mm-hmm. I did this, this is what it would mean. If I said this, this is what I would be saying. If I acted in this way, this is where that would be coming from. Um, and we don't often realize that this person is a completely different person. They have completely different life experience. They have completely different motivations. Um, and so needing to like remember and honor that your partner is a completely different human being. Um, and they uh, have a completely different, like, you know, perspective of what they want yes, their life to look totally. like. Um, and um, and then another thing that's been coming forward for me recently um, uh, that has been very poignant theme for me is uh, two things. Um, I no longer subscribe to this belief that conflict has to be hostile. <laughs> and so learning how to like unpack 
Like what, right. you know, being hostile in conflict looks like. That's you know, part of like, our conditioning too. What does conflict right, yeah. look like in really, and what does it mean? Like you said earlier, if my partner cheats on me, I have to leave them. Or if they don't feel insecure, if they don't feel jealous about me talking to somebody else, what does that mean about me? We get so much conditioning that right. almost, that breeds so much toxicity in our partnerships. Right. So, yeah, I've been trying to move away from this belief that, like, I need to engage in conflict that's hostile or or adversarial. And it's actually been a recent work um, uh, with my current partner. Um, and I, I kind of juxtapose that against my uh, my, you know, former relationship with my husband, even though we had a good relationship. But when we went through conflict, it was very much two people on the opposite side of the table. You know, right. it was very adversarial. Um, and uh, when I got with my uh, current partner um, and we would have different spaces where we would have conflict. Um, he was so keen about like, you know, kind of reminding me like, hey, like, you know, we're on the same team here. Like, you know, we're not, you know, we're not trying to, we're not approaching right. this from different angles, like trying to square off with one another. Like, let's, let's remember that, you know, we're two people in a relationship approaching this issue from the same side of the table. Um, and it was hard for me to do at first because I was just like, no, nah, we scrapping. Like, our you know, egos hate that. Our egos are like, wait, what? <laughs> it's right. not it about really, me being right. You know? <laughs> right. It was really hard for me to do that at first. And I had pretty much like unpacked like the need to be right. You know, mm-hmm. like, like that part had kind of moved on a little bit, but it was still very much like I needed to stand my ground, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and instead of being like, no, like we're in collaboration with each other, like trying to approach this issue from a way that like both people are represented and taking care of and feel like their needs are being met and feel like they're seen and heard and understood by the other person. Um, and so, um, and so that's been very, very huge for me. Um, and then also, um, uh, learning, this is actually a really, 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 really good one, um, that I, I is assuming good intent, you know, I've been working assuming on that because my, my defense is always hands out and I, and I, I don't like that move, that motion, because it doesn't align with my, with how I know my partner uh, meets me at the table, you know, but instead right. I, I, hands out, wait, what, huh? <laughs> like, what do you mean by that? You know, that's right, been a yeah. big one that I'm working on this year. Yeah, yeah, it's that. assuming good intent. And I, you know, and I want to acknowledge that if you've been through any kind of trauma, any kind of abuse, like any, you know. Um, if you uh, have have been, you know, wrong, you know, harmed. Yeah, at the that's a lot more. That's a steeper. It's going to be that much harder to do that. So, like, I don't want to, you know, I, I feel like a lot of times, you know, relationship advice is very flippant. You know, it's very just like, oh, my God, just, you know, just think good about people and just love people and whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, if, you know, if you come from any kind of marginalized identity, yeah. you know, if you've had any kind of trauma, like these things are going to be that much harder. I completely Absolutely. understand and I want to validate and acknowledge it. But if you can. You know, if you can um, assume good intent, uh, because oftentimes people have things that are going on that really have nothing to do with us. They really do. They have nothing to do with us. Um, and they have and they certainly have nothing to do with them trying to harm us. Right. They're trying to hurt us. Usually it's them trying to get their needs met. You know, that, that was the words it you said it verbatim. Exactly. People right. just want to get and, their needs met. And right. with whatever and, tools and they have. Not always having the best way to go about doing exactly. that it's almost like you know it's like it's almost like a like a, the way i see it is like someone trying to get to the bathroom like say y'all sitting in a theater together <laughs> someone's trying to get to the bathroom I can't wait. 
I can't they got to go to the bathroom and they step on your foot on the way out. <laughs> they were trying to get to the bathroom. Yeah. They had to go yeah, real bad. Human needs. Know, <laughs> right, exactly. They had to go real bad. They were like, oh man, you know what I mean? The taco I ate earlier, and that's my stomach. <laughs> and they just stepped on your foot, you know, and they yeah. really weren't trying yeah. to step on your foot, but they happened to step on It doesn't mean it don't hurt. And it doesn't mean that you don't bring it up and say, hey, you yep. stepped on my foot, you know? Yep. But they weren't trying to step on your foot as they were trying to get out the aisle. They were just trying to get out the aisle so they can go to the bathroom. And that's kind of the way you know, uh, human relationships work. And then another one, a mantra that I created for myself that is really, really, really helpful is before you get upset, get curious. Mm, I love that. So many times we get upset about things that happen and we immediately, you know, my mind is like a bullet, zero to 60. I got this whole totally. story. This is why this person did this. This is what it means. This is what it means for the future. You know, I remember one time, I, uh, if I could share a personal story from my nominal journey, actually, uh, I went camping with my husband um, and one of my partners at the time and the kids um, for Thanksgiving. And uh, on the camping trip, my uh, husband uh, tells me that he uh, w- was signed up to attend a BDSM workshop. Um, and up until like at that point, neither one of us were really super involved into kink. I'm actually not particularly kinky at all. It's just not a, you know, I don't judge yeah. it at all. Yeah, it's not your thing. Is there into kink? Uh, but it's not my thing. Yeah, exactly. I consider myself kink adjacent. I think kink adjacent at different ti- different points of my journey. I feel like right. I consider myself like kink adjacent. I have a lot of kink friends. I know enough about the community. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I interact with it, I go to kink events and I enjoy yeah. those places. But like, it's not something that's like a fixed, you know, uh, structure in my life personally. And so, um, and there are a, a lot of people that I don't know that are really, really, really into kink. It's like a really big deal. So, um, so my husband told me that, uh, he had signed up for this king class and he was going to go to this king class. And I like freaked out, like literally my mind went from zero to divorce in like 0.6 seconds because I was like, oh no, he's going to go to this king class and he's going to really like it. And then he's going to really get deeply involved in king and I'm not kinky. And so then my relationship with him is going to become boring and dull and he's only going to want kink relationship and then we're not going to be together anymore. And then he's going to end his relationship with me. Like just in a you, few you seconds. Know what? My automatic assumption would be in your shoes. I would go, oh my God, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not kinky. Enough. You know, and like that really I would just go down to. Yeah, if he's totally. going to develop himself in a way that is going to uh, Reveal. remove him from me because I'm not yeah. going to be enough from him, which is yes. another thing that I actually really want to talk about too. But um, but it was funny because I just like completely like went there and I, you know, I, I kind of felt myself. I wasn't upset at him for it, but yeah. I was upset kind of about it because I had gone to that place of going, oh no, like, you know, this is going to take this person away from me. It's going to change how they view me. Um, and then I'm not going to be enough for them anymore, which if I had asked a little bit more questions and go, well, why do you feel in this? Or why do you want to get into this? Or, you know, what's, what, where is this coming from? Or why is this, you know, something that you're now wanting to explore? Number one, he would have felt supported, you know, and like yeah. I was actually wanting to get to know him as a person and yeah. also supporting a way that he wanted to develop. Um, uh, but also... Um, it probably would have helped me feel a little bit better, <laughs> you know, <laughs> assuming yeah. you know, that it was going to this place, which is another thing too, that I think is important to, um, to keep in mind in, and, and this is all relationships is that human beings aren't static. Mm. We're going to grow. 
we're going to change. One of my favorite quotes from the movie Her is where he was talking about like how like we're, we're in relationships with people and how to allow them the space and the freedom and the room to expand without letting that scare you, you know, mm-hmm. or without letting that cause you to, 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 to want to limit that, you know, because mm-hmm. you're afraid of what that expansion means. Wow. Um, and, and that, that, that is hard sometimes in relationships, you know, as, as we, you know, my husband and I were together for 17 years. We got married when I was like 21. We yeah. did a lot of expanding and growth, um, during that time. Um, and a lot of that expansion was very scary for me, yeah. uh, with regards to him. And I, you know, I didn't respond, uh, well to it all the time. Yeah. Um, and so like now, like my newer work, um, in, you know, relationships moving forward is how do I, hold space for my discomfort, you know, around this person expanding and what that means for me, because we're human beings and that right. happens, but yet also be an in integrity around a wanting my partners to feel free to develop themselves um, into the people that they want to become and feel supported uh, by me in that development. Wow. I love all, those are all such gems. One of the final uh, questions I wanted to ask you is actually we're going to reference um, a series that you put on your Instagram, and it's uh, it's a series that you call non-monogamous answers to monogamous questions, and you post a monogamous question or a question posed through that lens that we were discussing earlier. You know that the, that assumption based lens that we were conditioned with um, as participants in this culture. Um, and then you answer it through the, uh, with a non-monogamous question, or excuse me, answer. And I, I found that series particularly so powerful um, because it not only uh, highlighted your experience what it's like to be in these partnerships, et cetera. But it, it, again, reminded me about that lens about, it's not just about saying, oh, well, some people are monogamous and some people aren't. It's about really rethinking about that, that assumption lens, that perspective that we are conditioned with this edification that we get sort of non-consensually from all angles, from family, television, you know, all sources of media, and sort of shifting away from, you know, this is a personal choice and another personal choice, shifting away from that to a, this is a, this is a, this is a paradigm through which we see things that doesn't necessarily align with my, my actual beliefs about the world. This is not how I want to approach people and partnerships and, and, and my advice on this podcast, you know. So um, with your permission, I picked out three of those um, monogamous questions. And I, I don't necessarily believe in them. <laughs> or like, these are my questions. They're from the internet. <laughs> um, but I'm going to ask you them so that you can kind of um, do that turn um, for us on air. But again, y'all make sure to check out Avita's Instagram. Um, so the first question is, how can you give you're all to more than one person at a time. Yeah, um, I, that I, that came up. Uh, I think someone asked someone that. I think I saw it in a group or something like that. And the first thing that came up for me was, um, uh, I don't give my all to anyone. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, yes, yes. That's true. Uh, like I what? was like. If I, I give my say- all to, 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 to someone, yeah. to any one person, um, what do I even have left over for myself? Yes. Yeah. Um, and so it was, it was a strange thing to me. 
Um, totally. To say that it's like I don't give my all to anyone. I like to me, it was one of those things. I was like, it's literally impossible to give your all to anyone because totally um, or, or any one person. Uh, because most people, we have jobs, like, you know, we yes. have families, like, you know, we have people that we're interacting with all the time that we're giving things to. Um, so it was a very, it's, it's a very bizarre question for me um, because I was like, I don't, you know, I don't really feel like anybody should be giving their all to anyone. Yeah. Um, now I may uh, uh, give the, a high standard of care um, to <laughs> the like that, that I'm with. Um, and seek to bring the highest standard of care and the highest integrity of care to a person that I'm with. Um, but I kind of seek to do that to all human beings that I interact right. with for the most part. Right. Um, uh, and so, uh, and so, yeah. So like I said, to me, it was just a strange question. Cause I was like, I don't think anybody should be giving their all to anyone. Yeah. Um, so yeah. We all have, um, natural, like ebbing and flowing levels of intimacy with all of our relationships, romantic and otherwise. You know, I read that question to our producer, Spencer, and he was like, he kind of said the opposite to you, but you were saying the same thing. He was saying like, well, we, we, we maintain relationships all the time of different levels, you know, like, uh, we do this all the time, but for some reason we put this onus on our partner as this, as this, vessel for our best selves as though like intimate friends, other partners, you know, like coworkers, et cetera, don't get, I don't know, access to us or something. Yeah. We, 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 we elevate uh, romantic relationships as like the pinnacle relationship in our lives. Um, and the one that we should be pouring uh, the most of pouring, ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and that's not a terrible thing in and of itself. Like, I'm like, okay, if that is your philosophy, your relationship philosophy, cause I'm very big on that. If that is your relationship philosophy, that's fine. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, however, um, uh, there are lots of people that don't operate that way, that don't see things that way. It is important that if that is how you are, that you are in alignment uh, with the person that you're with, that they also are doing that same thing with you so yeah. that you're kind of both on the same page about that. Yeah. And it is still important to make sure that you do have um, a support system. You have other people in your life that are important to you because I feel like that sets us up for like unhealthy codependence on each other. Yes. Um, and the reality is that no one human being can encapsulate every single solitary thing that you need at every single solitary moment that you need it forever. Like, it's just right. not humanly possible, um, even with the most valiant of efforts. So um, so I think it's important that we are, uh, you know, that we're not having this expectation um, that um, that we're supposed to just kind of pour everything into um, one particular person, um, because, you know, it, 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 it doesn't create, like, I feel like it doesn't create a, a healthy dynamic. Um, and also, um, you know, where is your pouring into yourself? Cause I think that's a lot. Another thing that happens in relationships too, is people go, I'm just going to pour everything into this other person because they're going to do the same thing back to me. And so then when the relationship is over or it's not going well, or they don't feel like they're getting the right pouring, they feel this almost indignation. You know, mm-hmm. this person you were supposed to do this for me. And it's like, uh, but you can also feel yourself though. Yeah. So, um, so I think it's, 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 it's important to move away from that. I'm supposed to be giving my all, um, to anyone. Yeah. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't, I don't think we should be giving our all to anyone. I think that we should be making wise choices, you know, about <laughs> how much of ourselves we wish to pour into the people that we care yeah. about. And that we should also be making, reserving, uh, some of that for ourselves as well. 
I love that. All right, non or excuse me, monogamous question number two. Do you think you'll become monogamous when you meet quote the one? Um, I love this question. <laughs> it's like I know. I'm just like, uh, but I can I can literally hear like my aunt saying that. You know, like I hear my elders v- voicing it, that. You know what I mean? That assumption that monogamy is just the standard. So like yes. you're just doing or that this, this because, is a phase or whatever. Right. Yeah. You know? You're just doing this because you want to be edgy or deviant yes. for a period of time or that, you know, you just haven't met the right person because exactly. once you meet the right person, you are just going to completely just not see anyone else, not want anybody else. And it's also that belief that the right person will be able to meet all of your wants and needs. Like, you know, it's that belief that you, that there is one person out there that is perfect for you and that is going to meet all of your wants and needs um and i always tell people i'm like i could literally meet the most perfect partner for myself and i would still want to be non-monogamous because non-monogamy is not about who i'm with it is about me and what i want from my life you know and the i want to have and the ability that i want to have to make decisions about how i connect with people what i do with my body what i do with my affection what i do with my heart and my emotions it literally has nothing to do with who i'm with so i tell people that the one is me you know Uh, i'm the one and um and uh and no i don't believe that if i met someone uh one person that that you know kind of checked all off all of my most important boxes you know that i would go okay i don't need anything else because for me the need is freedom yeah you know, wow. the need is the freedom to connect with people how i genuinely want to connect with people and yes there are absolutely some people that return to monogamy there are also some people that exist in what call a state of like polymonoflux or ambiamorous and that they are comfortable in non-monogamous relationships and monogamous relationships. So um, so there are people that, that that are okay being polyamorous and they're okay being monogamous and that doesn't feel restrictive to them. Um, I think that probably now one of the things that I would tack on to this question is why does that matter in order for you to validate what I'm doing right now? Mm, yeah, totally. So why does that need to be a question that you need to answer or something that you need to know in order for you to validate that I'm doing right now? Even Mm -hmm. if there is a day in the future where I do decide to return to monogamy or I do meet the one that doesn't invalidate my non-monogamy now. Mm Alok Vermenen in a podcast interview said, we have this violent motion to put our understanding before our empathy, our our comprehension of something before our compassion and that that need to like get it or to like, I don't know, see the motive behind you is so disheartening and so disempowering. And and that like our superhero is empathy is to just say, oh, I see you. I validate this in you right now. And I'll see you if you ever change in the future. Right. And it doesn't mean that the non-monogamy at that time wasn't valid. You know what I mean? It's it's almost like, okay, say you, you, uh, I don't know, you know, someone picks a career path and they change their careers. Does that invalidate, you know, that they they spent years in this other career path because they changed careers? You know, so um, so I think it's 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 that piece of like, what does it matter? Like, why does it right. matter? Like, it has nothing to do with what I'm doing right now. This is what I'm doing right now. And it's valid. Right. Yeah. OK. And my third and favorite, a.k.a. least favorite, most toxic <laughs> in my perspective, um, monogamous question is, do you think you don't you think you deserve someone who wants only you? 
Yeah, that one uh, comes <laughs> up a lot because, um, first of all, it's super insulting. I think it's a very it insulting. It's very insulting because you're assuming that I have low self-worth by doing this. Wow. Yeah, because if I had higher self-worth, if I valued myself more, I would be in a relationship where a person chose only me. I'm all chills now. Yeah, so it's, it's an assumption about the the worth that I hold myself. Yeah, you myself. deserve, yeah. You deserve. Like, don't you believe you deserve more than that? So you're assuming that you can 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 dictate for me what 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 you know I deserve and what my self worth is is based on on you know this thing, right? Also, there's this assumption that like, I, I, and then this is actually what I put in the answer is there are lots of people that are being treated horribly in relationships and they're the only one that that person is choosing. Mm. So this assumption that someone choosing only you means that they're giving <laughs> you a relationship you deserve mm. is completely false. Yeah. Completely yeah. false. Because I know lots of people in monogamous relationships where the person is choosing only them and yeah. they are not being treated well at all. Yes. So, uh, so I think what I really think I deserve is the freedom and the support to choose relationship structures and mm. styles that are authentic to how I want to engage in them. Mm. That's what absolutely. I deserve. Yeah, absolutely. And that, and that doesn't, we're not even touching We don't even have to touch on how harmful and minimizing it is to the, to the partner, you know, like to assume something, somebody that somebody's value as a partner or their worth as a romantic person is limited to their ability to like not look or be interested in other people. Like we really right. want to dehumanize our partners. Yeah, but my partner is, is not worthy of me. Mm. Because if they were, they would only be choosing me. So it's, it's right. you're almost like you're 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 making my partner out to be a, a partner of low quality. Wow. Uh, because of this, uh, because they they're they're not choosing me. And then also, and I, when I first answered the question, I was gonna say, well, I don't feel that way because I don't want to just choose one person. Like yeah. you know what I mean? So I'm like, like why would I feel like I wanted someone that just chose me when I'm not gonna be just choosing them? You know? Yeah. Uh, but I, I moved, I didn't use that because I'm like, there are, and I know this is a question that uh, probably more so than anyone, monogamous people in relationships with polyamorous people get. Yeah. Where they're like, you know, like, why wouldn't you get with someone? And, and it's a hard question. Right, to if hear they're choosing it and you're not. Yeah. Right. Those, those thoughts are probably going through their own mind of going yeah. like, you know, I probably should just be with somebody that just chooses me. You know what I mean? Right. Because you know, I'm just choosing this person. So I stayed away from, you know, answering it that way. But um. But it's just this assumption that someone being with someone else automatically means that, number one, you have a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, that you are not being cared for well, mm-hmm. simply by way of the fact that they're, they're you know, interacting with someone else. You're and so they're, right. they're completely false. And this assumption that, you know, if someone is choosing only you, that that's all, you know, that that's required for them to treat you well, you know, um, and, um, and, and, and that, you know, that, that that's what you care about. So like, it, right. I think it's, it's just belief that everybody desires exclusivity and they don't. Yeah. They don't. Totally. Exclusivity is, 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 it's, it's, it's part of the things that when, when you have this like relationship table and it's like, there's all, oh, there's all these options, you know, there's options on the table. This is how we do relationship. There's the options of things that can be a part of the relationship. Exclusivity is not like a given. No. And it's, it's not, not a mark. It's not a marker of goodness. I think right, that's not that a marker of goodness. It's not a marker of violence. Yeah. It's not a marker of commitment. It is simply an option. 
that you can utilize in your relationships if that's important to you, or you cannot utilize that in your relationships if it's not. Yeah, totally. And for some of us, exclusivity is not important to us. It's not an yeah. important thing. This is so helpful. I'm I'm just thrilled to have this conversation. Okay, so two more quick uh, questions to wrap up. We're asking all of our guests, um, what's a piece of relationship advice that you used to believe or that you used to you know, ascribe to that you no longer find helpful or you no longer believe? Um, Other than maybe monogamy. <laughs> right. Um, that uh, a person feeling jealousy is an indicator of love. Mm, oh my God. So real. Fuck all yeah. those rom-coms. I like... I remember yeah. learning that so young, maybe like 10. You know what I mean? Yeah. And honestly, this one is a hard one for me because I actually am this way. Mm. You know, I am this way. And I had to learn how to hold that that's how it shows up for me. Mm. But that isn't necessarily how it shows up for other people. And so it's not a statement of another person's lack of of uh, uh, value for their relationship with me. If they don't experience it, even as that is what it is, is a statement for me. Because one of the things that I know about myself personally is if I'm in a relationship with a person or I'm dating someone or, you know, starting to kind of talk to someone, I like someone. For me, how I know that I'm really starting to develop feelings for the person is if I can experience jealousy. If I'm dating someone and uh, they go out on a date and I don't care. I'm like, oh, have a good time. And I don't feel nothing, you know? Yeah. Oh, you know, whatever. They tell me, oh, you know, I've got this new person I'm seeing. Oh, I'm going away for a week. Oh, great. Enjoy yourself. Nine times out of 10, it's probably because I ain't really that into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't really know what other people. Um, but if, it, if it's someone that I'm really, 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 really feeling, I will still have that response. So it's not like I'm going to be like, have a terrible time. I will still have that response, have a really good time. But internally, I'm like, Ugh. you got to process through. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, ooh, you know, because I, I actually like, you know, I, I, I really, really, really have feelings for this person. You know, what I mean, I'm really into this person. So um, and so uh, in my marriage, my husband did not experience a lot of jealousy at all. Um, jealousy was just not an emotion that he has, you know, he experienced very heavily. And my mm-hmm. current partner is like that too. Mm-hmm. So um, he just wasn't, is not very jealous. He's usually super excited. You know, if I tell him about, it, he talks to me all the time about people I'm dating. He wants to hear about it. You know, he's just not, not very jealous at all. And initially that was really hard for me because uh, I was just like, oh, you just don't oh, care about the me. the flip side of it. Yeah, I see. Yeah, I was like, you just don't, you don't care about me at all. Because it, it, the, the way I conceptualize it is people are afraid to lose things that they care about. Oh my God, yeah. If you don't feel any fear at the, the potential threaten or loss of our relationship, it's because you don't care about it. Because if you cared about it, you'd be afraid to lose it. That's how I saw it, you know? Totally. In my mind. And so it was really hard for me um, to like feel like my partners cared for me because they didn't experience jealousy around my interactions with others. And it wasn't until like getting older and non-monogamy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that some people like that's just not how it works for them. Okay. Um, and it doesn't mean that they don't care about you and it doesn't mean that they don't care about the relationship or they don't value it. They just have a different relationship to it than you do. Um, and um, and that's OK. Yeah. Um, and it's also OK, you know, that that's how it works for you. You know what I mean? It's OK yeah. that that's how it works for you. That doesn't mean that I don't regulate um, that belief, or I don't regulate how that belief shows up and how I move through my relationships, that I don't manage my own jealousy, yeah. that I don't make sure that I, I show up to, um, 
uh, critical analysis of my behavior um, and the, the my expressions of jealousy and, and the behavior that I allow that emotion to propel um, in me. But I, it's okay that this is kind of how it works for me while also understanding that it's not how it works for everyone. Um, and that we don't, that, you know, that that's not actually true. Like just because someone doesn't experience jealousy um, in their relationship with you doesn't mean that they don't care. Yeah, or that's that powerful. Be, or that jealousy is tantamount to love, you know? Totally. That's so powerful and valuable. Uh, finally, we always do blind dates on our show. Every episode, we shout out something that we love, that we want to set up our listeners with. And this week, we are going to send you home with, or Avita is going to send you home with. Polysecure by Jessica Fern. So it's a newer book um, that is out, a newer non-monogamy book. And it's actually probably my favorite non-monogamous read, personally, um, especially at this particular juncture in my life, because yeah. I am learning that I'm doing a lot of healing around my attachment traumas. Mm, I actually, somebody suggested, um, what's her name? Fern, Fern Jessica. Fern. Yeah, Jessica uh, somebody Fern. just suggested her as somebody we should interview as along with you. And yeah, I, just, I started I, a workshop with her and uh, at, at Poly Dallas Millennium. Um, and it was really, really amazing. Um, and then I read Poly Secure and oh, my I love gosh. that intersection. It makes so much sense. Our attachment styles and our connection to people. And what does that mean in partnership, um, especially when we're talking about the boundaries of monogamy, non-monogamy, et cetera. Right. And um, one of the things I loved about the book so much is it was really accessible. So I find that sometimes uh, because when I first read it, you know, because she's a psych- psychotherapist, I was like, okay, yeah. how reasonable is this going to be? Yes, totally. You know, because they can be super academic and very heady. And, and I have a really good vocabulary. I'm a relatively well-read person. Um, but I find sometimes that I'm reading some books and I'm having to reread sentences. Too dry. Yep. It was very accessible, very warm. The tone of the book was very warm. Um, and, um, and it talked about, you know, and I like one of the things that I liked about it the most, because I, I started attached, uh, like the, the kind of main mm-hmm. book that you talk about when you talk about attached and I couldn't get through it. Number one, because it was, uh, very mononormative and I was like, mm. okay, this does not work for me as a person who is non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. And also I felt like it pathologized the attachment styles. Yes. So it pathologized anxious attachment style. It pathologized, you know, avoiding attachment style. It pathologized a disorganized attachment style. And the one that was seen as the gold standard was secure rather than just, this is just how people show up. Right. Uh, in some ways, there are some benefits to people's attachment styles. And in some ways, there are some like maladaptive ways, you know, to people's attachment styles. And it's just important to strike at a balance, yeah. you know, in your attachment style. Um, and so I like that she didn't pathologize them. Um, and, um, and uh, it was really, really, really uh, a, a very a poignant read for me personally, because now that I'm in this space where my marriage is ending um, and I'm sort of surveying my relationship landscape, mm. okay, what do I want the next 17 mm. years of relationship experience to look like for me? Um, I'm having to be faced with a lot of my attachment traumas. Yeah. Uh, working through, because uh, I'm an anxious attachment style generally. And so me like too. working through <laughs> yeah, attachment um, issues. Um, has been a major, 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 major thing for me recently. Um, and uh, that book was kind of the catalyst for um, that thought process within myself of of trying to maybe not necessarily move towards a secure attachment style. Because I think I'm just always, you know, that, that I just, yeah. I'm an attachment person. That's who I am. But more, what does security feel like? What does security look like for me in relationships? What do I need in my partnerships yeah. in order to feel secure? Um, and what is the feeling of secure? What does security feel like in my body? You know, how do yeah. I... How do I um, how do I I, I access that um, when it's necessary? You know, yeah, I need wow. it. Wow, 
that is a movement that I'm working on a lot right now in myself, not um, like punishing, not feeling that need to fix my attachment style or punish myself for it, but instead saying, this is what I'm working with. This is, this is who I am. This is how I view things. And how can I now take tools and perspectives to apply it to that attachment style that is who I am at the core of who I am, you know, and I like what you said about saying there's no, you know, we can, obviously there are not pros and cons, but there are, there are ways in which certain ones benefit in different situations. And there's, there's reasons why the secure attachment style are, is held at that pedestal that it's at. But um, yeah, just, just to say, I've been working a lot to say like, this is not something, this is not an error in me. This is who I am. So working on that acceptance then helps me embrace that attachment style, embrace those um, reactions or, or whatever that I have um, with compassion and, and hindsight, I guess. <laughs> Right. I tell people all the time, um, uh, you know, once we become aware of something in ourselves, um, uh, you know, we kind of look back on our former selves with sort of like, you know, judgment and, you know, yeah. I, I was broken of, back then or I was, I was you broken know, back yeah. then. And so what I my work has been personally is and, and the way I kind of conceptualize it, I have Vita 1.0 and Vita 2.0, you know. And Vita 1.0 did the best that she could with the knowledge that she had and the life experiences that she had and the information that she had to get herself to the space of Vita 2.0, you know? Yeah. And every so often, Vita 1.0 pops up, you know, <laughs> because something happens and Vita 1.0 gets triggered, yeah. you know? And Vita 1.0 is like, yo, this is this thing that's going on. This is what I think that we need to do. You know, and rather than look at my old or my former self um, and, uh, you know, go get out of here or, you know, uh, you know, you're messed up or whatever. Yeah. I, I look at my former self with gratitude because that 1.0 mm-hmm. got me to 2.0. You know, Survival, I thank totally. Vita 1.0, you know, for getting me to Vita 2.0. And then I assure Vita 1.0 that Vita 2.0 has it from here. And I'm going to make sure that we're taken care of. You know, I love that. I so love this. Like your attachment style. It's like, okay, like this is not something that is broken about me. This is just what developed because yeah. of my life experience. Yeah. Some of the things I could control, some things I couldn't control. Um, and so, so back to the radical honesty that you started right. with too, right? right? With yourself. Who are you? Right. And then once you kind of bring yourself to a place of acceptance, like you can't deal with a thing within yourself from a place of non-acceptance that is there. Right. You right. just can't. Exactly. You can't deal with it. So because that. you're constantly wrestling with its presence, you know, you have to kind of go, this is who I am. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm working with, like you said. And now how do I work with it? Yeah. Avita, I am so honored to have this conversation with you. It's been so valuable. Um, I can't wait for my all of our listeners to go find you on Instagram. How can they how can people find you and how can they support you? So I can be found on Instagram at Levita Loca 34. That's L-A-V-I-T-A-L-O-C-A 34. I can also be found on Facebook at um, Levita Loca Sawyers. Um, that's where I do my today's polyamory reminder. Yeah. I have uh, the, the non-monogamous answers to monogamous questions. I also have something called something like a polyamorous phenomenon, you know, where I talk about different polyamory phenomenons that are pretty common. Um, and, um, and then just whatever, you know, I, I do share a lot. I think one of the things that people appreciate about me so much is I share a lot of my personal journey, um, and like, you know, different yes. things that I'm learning in my, um, um, you know, move, navigating through non-monogamy. So I'm very vulnerable about my life, um, which I think creates, um, an accessibility, 
uh, uh, to my content to people because it's not, I'm not just doing the talking head thing, you know, yes, what I'm totally. actually like talking about, like, you know, what I'm experiencing. So you can find me there. Um, if you appreciate my work, I always tell people you can, um, uh, my cash app is Levita Loca 35. Um, I'm Avita Dash Sawyers on Venmo. Um, and, um, and then I, and, and on my posts, I usually put like a little yeah. piece, of, like if you want to support my work, you know, here are ways that you can do that. Um, and so that's also there as well. Um, and so, yeah, that's where you can find me. Um, that's where I'm at. <laughs> so I'm pretty easy to find. <laughs> yeah. I am so grateful I found you. I'm so grateful to the listeners who suggested you. Um, and I'm so grateful for your time and your voice. Um, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Um, I'm, I'm going to be actually listening back to this because even that uh, the piece about like kind of why does it matter wasn't something that I thought about in, in the time. Oh, you um, were on fire. Cool. I got chills multiple times. And honestly, <laughs> I'd love to continue this conversation maybe uh, down the line um, and to create more space for conversations for folks that are that have been polyamorous, that have been there, you know, have been doing the work. Um, so maybe right. we can do that uh, in the future. Yeah. So thank you so much. Um, to our listeners, if you are enjoying these Head & Heart conversations, um, make sure to check out new episodes every two weeks on our primary feed next to our normal Monday episodes. And remember, if all else fails, just break up. Bye.